Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Age of Geek, the podcast. We <laughs> stop laughing, Jake. <laughs> I, I didn't say I'm sorry. <laughs> I am so <laughs> I am so happy to be here tonight to talk about black superheroes that we should know more about. We really wanted to do something. I don't want to say for Black History Month, because this is something we should all it. know That's about. Totally what it is. It's but okay. for Black History Month, like I feel like we are getting more and more diversity, but why not know more and be better at uh, knowing more diverse people? Because that's what we are striving to do. And they're kick-ass. So, well, most of them. A large majority of them. So, <laughs> that is what we are here Probably to do. Probably a similar to. ratio as white superheroes. I mean, really, when you think about it, Steph. Some superheroes, just in general, are really great. And some are really not. I don't know. I bet it's a wider, a wider ratio. I mean, we have Calendar Man. That's... What is what is calendar man? Well, at least you, at least you've got a condiment man. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's something to go right home about. I'm yeah. just saying. I mean, they're both Batman villains, uh, Colin. They were in. Were they in suicide? They were in a movie just briefly. Um, calendar man was. Oh, do you know what I'm thinking of? The Lego Batman movie. I was going to say Lego Batman yeah, is there the we movie. Go. The Lego Batman movie has a bunch of <laughs> villains oh that you're like, and you're like, who are these humans? I only remember that because when Condiment Man was on there, people were like, did they make that up for the Lego Batman movie? No. I think there's a line in it. We recently watched it with my kiddo. Um, there's a line in it that said, all these people, all these characters are real. <laughs> you can go look it up. So, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm literally on Calendar Man's Wikipedia page right now. And I'm just... <laughs> we are talking about pictures. <laughs> we have already right. spent more time on both of these characters than we need to for this episode. You're not wrong. <laughs> Tonight, we are joined by a regular crew, but we also have a guest joining us today, my friend Brian, and I shouldn't point. There we go. Nice. Yes. <laughs> First Brian, try. give us a little, uh, just a little brief bio about you oh, and why I would ask you here tonight. Why, why would you ask? Other than I love you. Me here tonight. Um, so, uh, brief bio about me. Um I've been fortunate enough to be raised around comics, come up around comics, and and this has to do with everything from comic book stores, kind of that that whole kind of culture, comic shops, and um, conventions, convention shows, trade shows, uh, that sort of thing, and um, just just kind of moving along in my in my you know evolution, uh, it became it was always about action figures, comic books video games and then video games kind of really, you know, <laughs> became a focus. So um, from from working around comic book stores and, and working around San Diego Comic Cons and what have you, it became about, you know, releasing a video game, focusing on studying video games and then um, landing in the U and, and continuing my studies to, to which where I, I am now you know, among among some of my uh, my people, you know, the the, <laughs> the, the, the culture, as as um, you know, it is it is said. So, um, 
it's, it's just um, something that comics are something that I've always just been around, been fascinated by. And um, just to kind of give you a little anecdote, a little a little history about me. Um, one of my one of my first comic cons, I was I was fortunate enough to attend the Eisner Awards where I was able to see Will Eisner himself speak at what would have been his last Eisner Awards um, before before uh, we we lost a, a, a talent, um, a, a major a major um, mind uh, responsible for what we understand as a medium of comics. Just to kind of give you give you a little idea about me, and then I definitely um, know that, who that is. Yes, it's nerd now. I'm I'm sorry. Did I? I definitely know who that is. Who is that? Uh, Will. <laughs> Will Eisner was. Uh, are you being serious? I am. I'm oh, so she's cool. being serious. I, 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 she is, and it's totally cool. Um, Will Eisner was uh, the um, the creative who who coined the term specifically uh, sequential art, and would go on to contribute um, to comics. But uh, the most notable um, contribution would be the spirit. Um, and uh, the spirit uh, just um, through through so many um, uh, mechanisms of his of his story to- uh, storytelling, excuse me, still still very much endures today. So um, yeah, very cool. And the Eisner Awards spirit in a few minutes. And the Eisner Awards, Brian, they're they're like the Oscars, right? Of absolutely creators absolutely. And, and things like that. So. Uh, just it's more a big deal. Just absolutely, uh, I I couldn't put it any better, Jake. The the Oscars of of comics, comics medium, no doubt. If it's not Jim Lee, I don't know much about it, and that's a joke <laughs> because Jim Lee is just the man right now. <laughs> Anyways, we, we love you, Steph. <laughs> so glad you're here. <laughs> Yes. So, yeah, I, I've known Brian for a few years now. And every time we sit down to talk about comics, video games, it's like I and I don't I say this. It's like a it's like an hour discussion because of just the passion that he has for it. So I am really excited to have you here tonight. Excited to be here. Thank you. So um, we were, we talked a little bit if we wanted to do like book reports or like a free for all, and we kind of talked about doing a free for all, but then Robert came in with his, uh, slideshow throwing off, uh, <laughs> the plan. Guy. I just, I believe this is what we call an overachiever. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like that would be a fantastic place <laughs> to start. Oh, wow. Okay. Just like that. Yeah. Boom. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well. Hello and welcome to my TED talk. Um, <laughs> actually, this is kind of this kind of stemmed from uh, Steph and I coming out and having a conversation about wanting to do something Black History Month and keeping it kind of goofy. And you know, what's more goofy than Black heroes and superheroes? I'm like, not much. So here we are. Um, I also did a, a talk like this a few years back at Fan X, uh, but it did it was a little broader in diversity, uh, not just. Uh, black and African-American characters, uh, but pretty much across the board, we're looking at how recently in um, sequential art, um, characters of color have come to prominence or have even been featured in media. 
So uh, with that in mind, I'm going to just go ahead and jump into what I got. And we're going to try uh, to narrate some of these um, slides as well for the audio version of the show. That is perfect. Oh, let's see. <laughs> but if you want to see them, you need to come to our YouTube channel and then subscribe to our YouTube <laughs> channel so you don't miss great visual stuff like this ever again. YouTube.com wow. slash supporters. Age of well, we try this again because that media work at all. Yeah, Colin, you're a tech guy. You should know these things. It's 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 there. Oh, or you can just go to youtube.ageofgeek.com because I created a hyperlink. It's great. Go there. I definitely know what a hyperlink is. Technology. It's great. URL, web address, whatever you want to call it. Wow. I am going to defer for a minute. I'm going to change computers and do it on a different computer because this one is being slightly difficult. Yeah, How no problem. Nicely like that. I know it's, it's totally there. So give me a minute. Okay. I will be right back. Not a problem. Do we want to continue on or do we want to just wait a few minutes and edit this out? We can continue on. Okay. I'll edit that out. We gave two totally different answers. Oh my gosh. What's really interesting is we're just now getting to a point. And I I mean, literally just now we're beginning to understand what's beneath the surface of the iceberg. We're, we're so, um, there's so many contributions and, um, works being done as we speak to unearth, uncover um, so many aspects of what it actually means to um, publish a Black superhero, what it means to be a creative force behind a Black superhero. And um, like you said, we, we, we um, were already thankful that, that we have vehicles like the MCU and that there has been a major push for diversifying and expanding the spectrum. But um, there's, there's so much more coming in. And one of the, one of the points I wanted to bring up um, or one of the, um, you know, my notes from my notes is um, there's an amazing book called the invisible men. And the invisible men is about the, black creatives that would have been working for different publishing houses in the day. And we're talking literally, you know, um, you know, pre and post World War II and just accounts, works that we would have never have known or understood if, if not for the um, research done. And one of those uh, figures is actually um, Matt Baker. Matt Baker is the creator of a of a superhero a black superhero who is who is historically credited as being the first black superhero published in a major commercial book vuda v-o-o-d-a-h vuda and what's interesting about vuda is it's it's very much um in the the immediate your first impression is going to be like a you know a, a tarzan archetype but um, uh, he's he's black. He he has he has a darker skin tone on the page, and what would end up happening, interestingly enough, four maybe four issues into his appearance, he is he reappears as a white character, and so mm-hmm. you're dealing with everything that has to do with the um, 
the pushback of the day and the 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 just the the mindset of the times as well. And and I'm I'm always I'm always a um, major proponent. I'm always I, I believe truly that if you want to understand your heroes, if you want to understand comics thoroughly, you need to understand the the people and the minds behind them um, as well. So so just to, you know that that's just you know not even saying much to begin with but it's a start mm-hmm. so was he intended to be a black character was he intended to be white and the print was no 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 intended intended to be a black character the outcome was results or or a result of essentially um not going to be able we're not going to be able to sell this character we're not going to be able to uh distribute this we're not going to be able to um you know, uh, uh, keep our advertisers happy. Things, things of of that nature, lent, uh, or ended up to the character being reintroduced as a white character. Right. I am curious, which character did I miss? So this was. Are you familiar with Matt Baker's Vuda? We're talking, and we're 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 going back, taking it back, nineteen forty-five. I am not. That was just a little bit before his time. It, oh, just barely. <laughs> I can't help myself. Oh, so, and, and just, just again, um, we were we were discussing. I was bringing up. Um, are you familiar with uh, Robert? Have you heard about the? Um, uh, I, I want to say it's published by um, Penguin, but um, the Invisible Men. Yes, yes, uh, the comic artists and creators uh, who were never heard of. Exactly. Or never known to be black. Yes, it's such a great book. I recommend it to everybody. Exactly. So, so uh, Matt Baker's uh, story and um, his his. I was just trying to bring uh, make a point that a lot of these stories, a lot of these interactions, are just now coming to the surface outside of what we understand as mainstream black superheroes and and black creators. I was hoping cool. what I had shared, Robert. Um, while you were gone was just I'm hoping to go deeper because I really have a surface understanding like I am familiar with the Miles Morales the John Stewart's the you know and I and I feel like the three categories that I'm familiar with are you've got the the black versions of the white superheroes the the black superheroes that have kind of taken on a mantle from one of the white superheroes and then the original characters Um, I want to go I'm interested to go deeper and learn more about what what's out there because I feel like there's a lot of stories that have been told um, that we're just not familiar with. And there's a depth of culture. And I mean, comics historically mirror a lot of what's happening in culture and in, in society. And um, there's a lot of stories that haven't been told far and wide that should be. Well, you've come to the right place. That's what we like to hear. If technology is working, if it's not working, I'm just going to read a lot. So bear with me. <laughs> we'll try this again. Take take two. If the technology doesn't want to just completely screw me up here. Uh, let's see. Go into presentation mode. Uh, look at this. So far, it's working properly. Huzzah. Now let's just see if StreamYard's going to play nicely with it. <laughs> In Bloop. theory, I should be sharing a window now. There it is. Yeah, oh, my gosh. Okay. This worked totally on the first time. You're very good at technology. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. I try. I make an effort. Yes, this will work perfectly. Okay, so, as I was saying earlier, welcome to my TED Talk. 
here we go. We're going to just jump right in. In 1976, this was an ad that was featured in many publications uh, like Ebony Jet um, and other uh, other magazines and publications that were uh, pictured or sorry, they were presented primarily for African American audiences. And you know, really, the imagery you would think, but he's being a superhero. What's so wrong with that? But what he's not seeing is a superhero that looks like him. And, you know, we've, around this time, publishers are starting to feel, we're starting to become a little more aware of that. And we're then trying to introduce characters that represented other cultures that were not entirely stereotypical, but, well, didn't always quite work out that way. But um, we can jump forward a bit to, well, jump backwards a bit to 1934, Lothar. Uh, who was one of the first black characters featured prominently in this? This was actually a newspaper comic strip in Mandrake the Magician. He was presented as a companion to Mandrake, and uh, he was, you know, prince of seven, prince of the seven nations. You know, he was incredibly strong, uh, vulnerable to weapons and magic. He was originally presented as not very intelligent, uh, having limited vocabulary, at least of English. But uh, in the 1980s, he was featured along with Mandrake, Flash Gordon, the Phantom in a cartoon series called Defenders of the Earth, which some of you may remember, um, along with all of their uh, children as the next generation of superheroes. And he was much more articulate than for some reason, fortunately. Uh, jumping forward, so Brian had mentioned Will Eisner a little while ago, and Will Eisner had a character who's a sidekick to the spirit called Ebony White, which was, you know, a pun on on, on being black and a character who was subordinate to a white character. Um, it's very stereotypical, very, you know, racially motivated. And in the movie that came out in 2007, I believe, uh, character was not there, fortunately. I can't imagine that would have ever, yeah, flown. Yeah. It. Instead, we got Shia LaBeouf, and I don't know if that was a push or not. He's a real-life cannibal, mm. is what I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to joke. I, that's just, yeah. Yeah. We'll let that one slide this time. This time. Um, in 1954, Atlas Comics, who's a precursor to Marvel, came out with Waku of the Bantu, who was a chieftain of a Bantu nation, and he was Marvel's first Black feature star, predating the Black Panther by 12 years, um, but he, was not, he, he did not have his own title. Uh, the comic was actually called Jungle Comics, because 50s, everybody. Now... The first uh, African-American character to headline his own series was Lobo. Uh, Western, it was from Dell Comics, a Western hero um, who you know, branded, you know, wanted for a crime he didn't commit, which was a popular trope of the time. Um, there were many TV shows that also kind of had this kind of theme in the 50s and 60s. Uh, but yeah, he was the first character, the first African-American character to headline, headline his own series. Um, and going to characters not to, that some of, not to be oh, confused with the Lobo of the '90s, right? Very much not. <laughs> Nor Sheriff Lobo from BJ and the Bear for people of a certain age. <laughs> um, 
jumping ahead another year, Black Panther. Now, originally, when Stan Lee and I can't remember who his co-conspirator was in this, I think it may have been actually Jack Kirby, came up with the character. They originally were going to call him Cole Tiger. Uh, fortunately, that did not that did not fly, and he appeared uh, in Fantastic Four Fifty Two, and then he got his own title in 1977. And he's been seen, you know, in comics, cartoons, his own feature film. Uh, unfortunately, we lost Chadwick Boseman, so we did not get to see him in Black Panther, uh, Wakanda Forever. But his spirit lives on, as they say. I have a question about Black Panther and his yes. creation. Was there any connection with the political movement and his no. it actually caused no. some pro- That actually caused some problem at first because they were like, well, that was one of the reasons they wrote Cole Tiger to kind of get away from that. But they were Which like, is a dope name. Not- How did it not fly? I'm going to have to try and find you a, a copy of what he would have looked like. It, it, it would not have been. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a process. But, uh, but there okay. was a lot of there was a lot of question about is he affiliated with the Black Panther movement, and there was not any direct intent for that to happen. And in fact, I believe the character predates the party by like a number of months. Okay, if I remember correctly, Brian, you may have to you may have to ver- validate that for me. No, 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 you're 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 spot on. You're spot on. It's it's um it's interesting because um, Reginald Hudlin. Um, who would who would go on and uh, do a run of Black Panther? He he mentions that um, in a foreword specifically how the uh, how how much of a happy coincidence it was, and um, even to speak on the fact that when you know we're talking about different times, information travels differently. When the Black Panther movement was in full swing, so you know we 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 had Black Panther, we you know established, but at one point. Um, T'Challa is is written in Fantastic Four very, very differently than how you would recognize him today. For 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 a time that he even went by a black leopard, to mm-hmm. to dis- indistinguish um, from the Black Panther. So, but they, they stopped that and went back to Black Panther. And when he's originally introduced, it was Black Panther in uh, in the Fantastic Four issue. They did, as Brian was saying, go to Black Leopard, but they were just like, "Why are we doing this?" And and decided to just return to his original name. Fairer lad. Now, as a fan of the Legion, this one was interesting to me to learn a while back that Fairer lad in 1966 was originally supposed to be black. Jim Shooter, who's kind of a legend in comics, was writing the Legion at, I believe, it was 14 or 15. He actually just submitted. He was a fan and submitted scripts and was just like, Hey, and he created Pharaoh lad and he was going to have him be the first black character in the Legion. And Mort Weisinger, who was the editor of the Legion at the time was like, no, because we'll lose our readership in the South if we do that. And they also were going to kill, decided to kill Pharaoh lad off a number of issues later. And, uh, that was actually Shooter's idea. He's like, if they're not going to let me do this, I'm just going to kill the character and make sure he stays dead. And it was a, it was one of the lasting deaths in comics. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on your uh, fan fandom of the Legion, the Legion has gone through at this point 
eight reboots or eight, eight different versions on the theme. And it is one of the most confusing um, histories of any comics outside of the Summers family and the X-Men. <laughs> but if you um, look at the new Legion that was done by Brian Bendis in 2020, uh, Fair Lad was, was brought back as a black character. So, not too far, 1971. The first African-American superhero, Butterfly, by Skywalk Publications. Two whole issues and then just disappeared and was never heard from again. Mm -hmm. um, do not have very much information on her outside of that. She was, a, I think, a Vegas lounge singer or lounge dancer, was a superhero by night, so to speak. And then after two issues, never heard from again. Also in 1971, my guy, John Stewart, was introduced in comics. Um, he was originally going to be Hal Jordan's backup. And some of you may have heard me talk before about the origin of Hal, of uh, John Stewart, how um, the late Neil Adams went to editorial at DC and said, we need a new Green Lantern. You're like, we've got Guy Gardner. And uh, Neil Adams was kind of like, so let me get this straight. How, you know, something happens to Green Lantern, his ring flies off around the world, passes Superman, Batman, billions of other people, and winds up on the ring finger of a gym teacher from Michigan, passing everybody else up. So we need, to, we need to, something to happen to him. We need to get him hit by a bus. And that's exactly what they did, laying Gardner out for months so that it could just be one issue and then back. And that's how John Stewart actually became um, Hal Jordan's backup. And then over time, he's been featured in the Justice League cartoon, the Justice League Unlimited cartoon, where most people came to know him. And then uh, also in the comics, he's gone on to become leader of the Green Lantern Corps. And he's also going to be featured, as James Gunn mentioned a few weeks back, in the new Green Lanterns TV series coming up on HBO Max. Luke Cage came the following year for Marvel, and he was the first black hero featured as a protagonist and title, comic, title character of his own comic. Um, he's been seen in not just his own title, Fantastic Four, The Avengers, uh, Heroes for Hire, different variations of Avengers titles, but also in the Netflix uh, adjacent, uh, MCU adjacent um, series, Luke Cage and the Defenders. And uh, I think he was in an episode of Jessica Jones. No, he was not. She was on his show. Sorry, I stand corrected. Misty Knight, go ahead. Are these, are some of these your own pictures of your own comics and um, action figures? Maybe. No, I love that. <laughs> I, um, I, I was just assuming they all were like pictures of your own comics and action figures. Yeah, if, if anyone hasn't seen his uh, Instagram yet, uh, Action Figures Theater, it is fantastic. He posts uh, new pictures every single day, and it's one of the best parts of my morning when I, when I pop up, open the gram. Thank you very much. It's very kind. <laughs> I am usually an audio only podcast listener, but I do feel like this episode might be better with the visuals on YouTube. So just throwing that out there for you listeners. 
Um, next up, we have Misty Knight in 1975, who preceded Storm of the X-Men by, I believe, two months as being introduced as a character. And she was uh, as a background character originally, but she rose to prominence um, and through interactions with Luke Cage, Danny Rand, uh, her partner, Colleen Wing, and she formed Nightwing Investigations and then went on to head up uh, Luke Cage and Danny Rand's former organization, Heroes for Hire. Um, and she kind of works alongside now uh, Sam Wilson, Captain America in the comics. And as I mentioned, Storm came, uh, I think, two months after Misty. Um, and she was one of the first Black females to have a main or supporting role at either Marvel or DC. Tyrock. Now, as a Legion Present. fan, I will cut a lot of latitude for many things. Tyrock is one of those things I just give a wide berth. Um, the Legion was mighty white. They had, they did have an orange guy, a green guy, and a dark blue girl. That's about it, out of thirty something characters. So, they decided to create a black character named Tyrock. One of the problems with Tyrock is, much like Kryptonians in the fifties, Tyrock came from an island of only black people, and even worse. The island phased in and out of main continuity every so often. So it's just basically like, we're gone. We're not dealing with you. We're out. And they were they were out. Um, his power set was similar to Black Canaries, but was also a little wider. He could also get different effects like flight, explosions, time distortion, energy distortion, uh, by variations in how he screamed. Um, if you look at the, if you can, is the Superboy and the Legion picture showing up fairly well for everybody? Or is it yeah. kind of tiny? Yeah. Okay. So he was based, his, his look was based on, I believe, Jim Brown of the NFL at the time. Um, but they gave him the outfit like a really poorly cut Elvis costume, which is what they literally were going for because they were like, uh, the creator who I think was Jim Shooter also uh, was just like, this is ridiculous. I am, I am not going to. I'm sorry. It wasn't Jim Brown. It was Fred Williamson, uh, also from the NFL. Um, but if I've got to do this, this is what you're going to get. Um, Tyrock was in and out of Legion stories over the years, um, and during one of the reboots, they finally came back and gave him a, a much better looking costume. Um, give us, give him a little work up on his hair, whole nine yards, power set, and everything stayed the same. But yeah, Tyrock. So he went. He went to the same superhero tailor that uh, Nightwing went to originally for his Pretty original much. costume. With the co yeah, with the yeah. collar, the whole nine yards, yeah. Yeah. and the open chest. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, <laughs> it it's great to know that that tailor had business for a thousand years. Forward, for time. That was that was that yeah. was rocking. <laughs> yeah. I think the gloves are bitching. Well, you know, you don't want to get fingerprints on everything. That's true. <laughs> um, next up, Bumblebee, uh, who people may recognize from Teen Titans, Teen Titans Go, or Young Justice. She appeared in 1976. Um, she had a boyfriend, Mal Duncan, who was also 
a teen, he was Teen Titans adjacent originally and became a member uh, after she dressed up, she made a B outfit to antagonize the Titans and make her boyfriend look good. That's love. <laughs> That's love right there. Or bad storytelling. It's fine. Uh, six on one hand, half a dozen on the other. <laughs> uh, Cyborg appeared in 1980. Uh, he became a member of the New Teen Titans um, in the 2011 New 52 reboot of the DC Universe. He became a member of the Justice League. Um, and not many people remember that he was actually on the Super Friends cartoon late in its run when it was called uh, Super Powers Team Galactic Guardians. Um, He's also been seen in Teen Titans, Teen Titans Go, Young Justice, and in the Justice League movie, both the Zack Snyder and the Joss Whedon versions. Take your pick. <laughs> okay, Amazing Man. Now, this one is an interesting one because he appeared in 1983, um, but the Justice Society comic book was still being written uh, as it was supposed to be occurring in the 40s. And they basically made this character retroactive and put him in the Justice Society, um, or actually it was the All-Star Squadron and then the Justice Society. Um, but his power is kind of like Absorbing Man where anything he touches, he takes on the properties of that element or that, that thing. So if he touches rock, he becomes like organic stone, touches metal, becomes organic metal, kind of like Colossus of the X-Men. Um, but that was later changed and he, became, he gained magnetic powers and lost his uh, mimicking ability. Uh, he also has two legacy characters, two grandsons who wound up getting the same ability, um, one of whom died and one of whom just hasn't been seen in comics for years. He's just out there touching stuff. and Just getting, out there touching stuff, just like... Yeah. Yeah. Getting those powers, yeah. Just living his life, his best just life. Just living his life. Yeah. Static, um, from 1993, Milestone Comics, which was a comic company that was like, you know, there's a complete lack of characters of color in comics these days. So basically seven creators got together uh, to form Milestone Media. Static is one of the characters that came out of this created by uh, Dennis Cowan and uh, was, was he Dwayne McDuffie or was he another creator? Dwayne McDuffie, Dennis Cowan. It was McDuffie. Okay. And early on you had um, Christopher Priest Yes, who was who was present, but unfortunately would would end up leaving. Um, yeah, under yeah the circumstances of that were not great, unfortunately. Um, if you get a chance, and this would be a great point to re to put this out there, uh, if you get a chance to look up Milestone Media, please do. Um, they're currently they were their own um, house, but they had a great deal with DC to be published by DC without being attached to DC directly. Later, and part of the thing that broke up Milestone broke up uh, some of the creators from Milestone or made them leave the company was them folding into DC um, for more than with the characters joining, uh, I think they called it Earth N at the time, and then being folded into the mainstream universe and then back out again. There's currently been a resurgence of the Milestone titles um, that you can find at your local comic shop uh, with static hardware and icon, Blood Syndicate, and a rework of the title Zombie from the original series as a, a title called Duo now. But I would definitely say check them out and look at their history. And they're a fantastic company to just kind of learn about. 
me and um, my kiddo. My... Oh, yeah. Ahead, well, I was going to say, me and my kiddo during the pandemic got into the Static Shock series on Disney Plus and had a lot of fun with that. HBO yeah. Max. Oh, no. <laughs> was it yeah, on? Yeah. Definitely HBO yeah. Max. Yeah. Okay. It's... I thought I only watched Game of Thrones on that, but it, I guess they don't, I they don't do a lot of DC titles on Disney Plus. All right. That makes sense. This this was one of my favorite cartoons to watch as a kid. I it was really well done. Just... And they, they did a good job of adapting it from the source material, but making it age appropriate for a younger audience as yeah. well. But they did not. One of the other great things about it was they didn't uh, shy away from touching on social issues, or or uh, some to some degree a little bit of socio political and economic issues. But also, you know, kind of age appropriate, and in a way that can open up conversation. And another reason, another aspect of milestone static that folds into superheroes, black superheroes that you should know about, um, Dwayne McDuffie specifically um, works at different levels. Um, so when you when you look at when you look at your Justice League Unlimited, when you look at your um, so from Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, right to stat well, static Justice League Unlimited, static Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, and then going into um, Justice League, um, the 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 comic, Dwayne McDuffie was there for all of it at at certain phases, and so. Um, I, I'm thinking about uh, Jake. What you were what you were saying as far as wanting to kind of go past your different categories. So, so Robert already mentioned um, hardware icon and rocket. Um, the Dakota universe, Dakota verse, is is um, is kind of what makes is kind of like the 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 core of Milestone. And you you have so many aspects that are kind of already baked into some very prominent aspects of DC. Um, mm-hmm. if, if I'm not mistaken, you you have Icon showing up in, in Je- Young Justice, Justice mm-hmm. League. Um, you have uh, Hardware showing up. Was it, I want to say, was Brave and the Bold? Was it, was it Hardware and Blue Beetle? Um, I'm, I'm I not sure. It was bit... Hardware, but I know, that he, I know that Hardware did show up as a background character in a couple of seasons of Young Justice. So, so in, 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 we we have these instances, these examples of of just you know, static is is definitely kind of the you know you know the front man. Static is 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 the the face, but then you you have these other um, connecting aspects of this universe that that is. I, I implore you, I implore you. Matter of fact, HBO Max, there is a documentary. There's a documentary that that covers milestone and it's it's you know this creation and, and how it thrived and, and how it sort of uh contributed and redefined certain aspects of comics yeah definitely check that out yeah that i took note of milestone and and the character's hardware icon that you guys mentioned uh, i think I'm... and icon just sounds just to kind of give you a, a little lead on icon icon is very much very similar to the superman model alien crash lands on earth the difference is this alien um, is an older alien who regresses um he lands on earth 
in the 1800s, which is not a great time. And, and basically where Superman landed in Kansas, this, this uh, alien lands in, uh, on a plantation and imprints on the first people that, that touch him and takes on characteristics of them. So he becomes a black man in the 1800s, which is not a great time. Um, there's uh, the history actually is his history is recounted in the in season one of, of Icon and Rocket, which is was released last year and I think partially in 2021. Um, six issues, really good storytelling. I, I recommend that as a story as well. Hardware is kind of an Iron Man esque story. Um, brilliant inventor whose work is manipulated and capitalized upon by a older businessman, uh, similar to what we saw in the Iron Man movie, the first one with Obadiah Stane. Um, but then the owner of the company villainizes this guy and you know, his, this is the fight for him to regain not just his identity and life back, but to save the people around him and his city. Um, and Brian mentioned how there's a lot of interconnectedness of the Dakota universe. The way that the heroes in the Dakota universe, in the Dakota verse, outside of Icon, all come together is out of one event for the most part. And either somebody was responsible for it, somebody was affected by it, or somebody, you know, had something on the fringes to do with it. And they all kind of come together in this in that universe in that way. Uh, it's tightened it without, it's tightened it in that way, but the stories themselves branch off in so many different directions and genres that you get a wonderful variety. Icon's story kind of reminds me, at least from what you said, kind of of Octavia Butler's kindred of like being implanted in that scenario. And then, I mean, in, which they just made TV show of and canceled after first season, which is a shame. Because the book and story itself is amazing. I may have to check that out. Thank you for the recommendation. Is that a Netflix series? Is that no, I think it's on Paramount. Hulu. Hulu. Yeah. Um, and yeah, she's one of the first female sci-fi writers, like of all, one of the big ones. She's lovely. Steel. Two people share this name and... Uh, you may have seen Steel. He's appeared in Superman the Animated Series. Sorry, John Henry Irons has appeared in Superman the Animated Series. Also appears in Young Justice. Uh, both he and his niece in the comics, daughter on the show, appear on Superman and Lois on the CW. Um, but there, he's a kind of a mantle bearer, like Jake was mentioning earlier. You're, you're not going to mention his feature film starring, starring Shaq? Never happened. Okay. <laughs> oh no. Hey, 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 there's a lot that we could uh that we could get into about that. <laughs> no, Jake, I'm not. I'm gonna just ignore you said anything about it. Um, but during the death of Superman in the 90s, uh, Steel was one of four characters who was part of the Return of the Superman saga, and he was a, a character who'd been saved by Superman. Uh, years before and with the lack of superman in metropolis he built a suit of armor and a giant hammer 
to fight crime and did. And then later, his niece, when he became injured, built her own armor and took up the mantle, joined the Titans, joined a couple of other teams as well, and also fight crime. And now they both work, they both run an engineering think tank in Metropolis that uh, supports uh, new technologies and new innovations to help the average person in, in the DC universe. I'm, did, I'm uh, so glad. Natasha... Or sorry, go ahead, Jake. I said, I, I'm just so glad. I remember um, the the reign of the Superman and the four different Supermans that, that showed up. And I'm just really glad that Steel has endured as long as, I mean, because the other ones are gone, basically. They've popped actually, up here and there. Actually, uh, the, the Cyborg Superman has shown up more in the Supergirl series of late. Yeah. Um, the Eradicator... Is kind of I know the Eradicator out. came back a couple years ago in some storyline, but but, but Steel has kind of become more. his own character, right? And he's he's really kind of stuck around for a long time, and I I'm glad he to has. see that. I liked his character from the beginning. I thought his was really intriguing and um, one of my favorite parts of that storyline. Well, like you said, the, the 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 movie, right? I feel like Steel more than any of the characters or, or the other Superman from Reign of the Superman um, just, I mean, catapulted mm-hmm. then. Like, I mean, we, we understand how superhero media functions now, but I mean, then to be, to be um, you know, to be, uh, to, to come off the page, be featured in the film, uh, featured in the video game, all in the span, and then the animated series, all in the span of, you know, the nineties is, mm-hmm. is pretty mm-hmm. insane to think about. So I can sure. relate. Especially with when the media didn't turn over that often or, or wasn't in that interconnected mm-hmm. in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, unlike today where it's just like, you know, page print or page and screen, you know, what and any other media you can think of, web series, it's etc. Um and yeah, it, it's you're right. He has endured well, and it's nice to see that they are moving him forward into the 21st century, and giving him while he's still a supporting character in the Superman titles, it's prominent, kind of like replacing Star Labs in a lot of ways for a lot of the mm-hmm. things that Superman needs support on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thunder and Lightning, um, daughters of Black Lightning. Uh, they've appeared in various. Uh, Cartoons, TV shows, uh, most most prominently Black Lightning. Um, they appeared first appeared in 2003 for Anissa uh, Thunder and 2008 uh, Jennifer Lightning. Uh, and she was trying to think. Lightning was part of the Justice Society to help her train to use her powers because they were at that time looking at the Justice Society much in the same way as Marvel used. Uh, the Xavier Institute, and to a lesser degree, the initiative to train superheroes to actually go out and do to learn how to use their powers. But just to be clear, Thunder came before Lightning. <laughs> that seems accurate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you, Jake. <laughs> um, the Blue Marvel. Um, you know, man caught wrong place, wrong time, good result. Uh, wound up becoming, became basically a stable antimatter uh, 
generator, energy generator, fly, project energy, uh, similar, you know, Superman-esque in many ways, uh, member of number of different Marvel, I'm sorry, different Avengers teams, uh, including the Avengers, the Mighty Avengers, uh, the Ultimates. Um, but one of the neat things about this character and the way he was written is that he had been a hero in the 60s, but he had a full body and full face covering suit. And during one of his battles, it got damaged and people were like, able to see that there was a black man under this suit. And they wrote into his story that he was asked by President Kennedy to retire because the country at that time was not ready for a black superhuman. Um, there was a similar story that John Ridley wrote called The American Way that came out, I believe, a couple of years before this uh, that had a character called the New American who was a legacy character in that universe, but was also the, the second character was black, got into a battle, his, um, his uniform got damaged. He was asked to retire as well, kind of went underground and became a little more radicalized than uh, the Blue Marvel did, uh, causing riotous actions within that universe. Um, it's actually a really interesting story. It's uh, there are two miniseries. I believe they're both eight issue miniseries. Um, I don't remember who was the publisher for that, but it was John Ridley, The American Way. Uh, check for it at your local comic book shop. Brian, do you have anything on either uh, Blue Marvel, The American Way? I I I, I want to. I'm enjoying the presentation. <laughs> <laughs> Blue Marvel. American way, I I can side rail, especially especially on on Blue Marvel. Just uh, there, there's so much. I mean, um, the characters coming back around in in recent uh, focuses. Um, there's there's been a lot of buzz around the character in so many, um, you know, from from different outlets, uh, media outlets. Um, John Ridley has been yeah. So I can <laughs> you covered it. You covered it. <laughs> um, one other thing, I'll, I'll mention that uh, two years ago when WandaVision came out, they kept teasing uh, that Monica, that somebody knew a physicist. I kept hoping they were actually going to not do Reed Richards because everybody's like, oh man, they're going to choose the Fantastic Four here. And I was like, no, the best look that they have there would have been to, be, to bring in uh, Adam Brashear because not only is he a physicist, but he, was, he is dating Monica Rambeau. Um, who we are going to see again this year in the Marvels with uh, Brie Larson and Tiana Paris and Iman Vellani. So I was just really hoping they'd bring him in and they let him down. Oh, Thanks, Marvel. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin Feige. He's just a First robot these days. <laughs> now, this one's a little more obscure. This was actually a lot more obscure, uh, unless you're local. Yeah, no, this is good. This is good. The Golden <laughs> Spike. So, uh, Valady Studios introduced the Golden Spike and the Salt City Strangers in 2016. They are the not premier super team of Salt Lake City. They are the underdog super team. Uh, there is another. They are in the shadow of the Faithful Four. I'm shocked. There's two uh, superhero troops in you in Salt Lake City. Oh. You you picked up the first issue. I've seen you. You picked up the first issue of, of the hero but it's who just, headlines one. Just Siegel. I didn't know he was part of a group of people. <laughs> he is part of a group. 
I mean, um, wouldn't want to be friends with him. That was mean. I'm just, it's just an odd no, superhero. No, that is that is totally the thing with the gall. Um, the guys who run Valeity are friends of mine, so I definitely wanted to give them a, a little bit of a shout here. Um, but the Golden Spike is he carries the the blessed handguns of Porter Rockwell, as well as the, the actual um, somehow empowered Golden Spike. Um, returned well, missionaries. Pardon me? That sounds right. No, that checks out. I think that's all accurate. Historically yeah, this speaking. this is in the Book of Mormon, right? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I I will not make any claim there. Yeah. <laughs> Smart Robert. <laughs> Every once in a while, it, you know. Um, but the Salt City Strangers is your kind of Doom Patrol-esque superhero team. They're not the bright, shiny super team. They're the guys who are down in the muck, down in the, you know, just getting what they can do to, to try to make things better, not always doing it as efficiently, as effectively as possible, but they're doing their best. They try hard. They mean can, well. Can you just imagine the Doom Patrol version of Utah superheroes? Like, they drink coffee and um, <laughs> forgot to wear a tie on Sunday. Like, they're the baddies. Um. If you get, if you have a chance, an opportunity to check out Salt City Strangers, please do. Uh, I know that issues are available at local comic shops in in Salt Lake City. Um, check it out. If you have any, if you have questions about it, let me know, and I can put you in touch with the Valiety guys as well. Robert, I think I there's a question. question. Yes. A question: Is there any validity? Is there? Can you tell me a little bit about the Golden Spike and Gary Coleman? Is 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 there? Is there Golden Spike? I, I know in the, the imagery and iconography associated with the railroad. I think I remember reading something about Gary Coleman being inspired and in, and in, in, into the railroad and, and you know trains and, and, and just you know a fan. Is there is there any and I think I think Gary Coleman spent some time in Utah. I'm not sure, but I, have you heard anything like this? I have not, but I'm asking now. <laughs> Well, I was. Is We're there going any straight to the source. I'm going straight to the source. I'm coming through. Coming the middleman. Go straight to the source. Is there any connection to this guy and uh, the legend Patrick Henry? Um, I do not know the legend his, of Patrick Henry. Isn't isn't it Patrick Henry the railroad guy who John, uh, Henry. John Henry? There we go. Patrick Henry was "Give me liberty or give me death." If I'm not mistaken. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Slightly different. Yeah, that's a little bit different. John Henry. <laughs> Um, and no. For those keeping track at home, John Henry, this is the second time his second time his name has come up in the conversation tonight. <laughs> Steel is tied to yeah. Steel is, okay, and there's okay. also there also um, oh shoot, the title of the series is Star Girl and the Lost Children, which is a current series from Jeff Johns at DC, is introducing teenage unknown teenage sidekicks. I'm sorry, time lost teenage sidekicks to golden age superheroes, one of whom is John Henry Jr., um, who was apparently supposed to be the sidekick to John Henry, who was seen in Darwin Cook's New Frontier. Oh. Um, but along with other teenage mm -hmm. uh, sidekicks as well. But John Henry Jr. was one of the character is one of the characters that they are introducing, reintroducing. Okay, next up, because we're just about done here, 
Naomi McDuffie. Um, Naomi McDuffie is a new character, newish character, uh, created by Brian Bendis, um, David F. Walker, and Jamal Eigel. Um, she is from a you know similar Superman story, from a from a ravaged Earth, raised on or on this Earth, but doesn't discover her powers and her origin until she's in her teens. Um, she winds up joining the Justice League. I'm sorry, winds up joining Young Justice first, then is recruited to the Justice League after like two fights you're just like nope you're coming with us <laughs> and you know she she actually kind of scares Bat. well doesn't scare batman she concerns batman to have being this powerful it's such a young batman. Huh? that's true everybody concerns Batman. <laughs> <laughs> touché I, touché. I feel like batman he meets somebody and he's already working on a contingency plan of how to take them out <laughs> um she had a short-lived series on the CW, Naomi, um, but she has a continuing, uh, her, her stories are usually six-issue miniseries uh, from DC under their, formerly under their Wonder Comics line. Um, but she's a fun character. They write her, they've written her very well. I've actually been impressed with how well they capture teenage everything with superpowers top, you know, heaped on top of it. Um, and then finding out, look, you're in the Justice League now, and dealing with that head, you know, putting her in that headspace. Um, fun character, um, and it's not very difficult to find issues uh, with her, for of her comic, and again, you can find, like, on the CW or CW Seed, uh, her series, which only was, which was canceled after one season, but was not exactly the same as the comic, but kept all of the beats of the comic uh, in the series. And it was also, if I remember correctly, directed by Ava DuVernay. Oh, that's um, Wrinkle in Time. Yes. I mean, amongst other, but yeah. yeah. Uh, because I'm a Green Lantern guy, you get another Green Lantern. A newer one, Joe Mullane, uh, she was basically a New York cop who was a whistleblower uh, against some, some police brutality, which got her blackballed. Um, then a friend's social media report about something she was doing got her fired. And she was much like Kyle Rayner, approached by a Gurian to uh, have, a, have an interview for a new job or to try out a new job. Uh, this job was actually being stuck on the outside of Owen protected space uh, in, in a region called the far sector. And she had one year to bring law to that area uh, and to solve the first murder that they'd had in over 500 years. And with no contact from any other lanterns, any of the guardians, just on her own. Uh, she finished that assignment, came back to known space just in time for the central battery to blow up and her to be one of the few lanterns with a ring that worked. Actually, I believe she was the only lantern at the time with a ring that worked. Um, this, she, her story was written by N.K. Jemison, um, science fiction writer. And it was an interesting socioeconomic look, socioeconomic and political look of a alien culture, and Joe is kind of a fish out of water in many ways. 
and just trying to make her way. And men watching her come back to the core and have to take on something of a leadership role with people who are like, and you are, and why do you have a ring that still works when none of ours do, was that integration was actually handled really well. She looks awesome, but that belt is doing nothing. It, it's there for fashion. Uh, I guess that's something. Style. Okay, Style. okay. <laughs> um, one of the things, and I'm not sure, I haven't been able to confirm this or not yet, but I believe that her look was actually loosely based on um, Janelle Monet. I love Janelle Monet. Um, Joe's got an interesting story. You know, take a look, check her out as well. And that, as they say, brings us to the end of our presentation. Thank you for, thank you for uh, coming along. Amen. And we can be done. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> There's some more Utah humor for you. <laughs> no, there were a ton of other characters. I mean, I was I kind of wanted to cover people that may some people that people did were aware of, some that people were not aware of. I wanted to go to the history of a few things. Um, there are still tons of characters that are out there that I, you know, may have either brushed on or just haven't even covered. Uh, I will say that. Uh, if you check out, where is it? Nope, it's over here. There it is. My Instagram. Uh, this month I'm doing Black History Month using action figures, uh, very many of whom out of comics, some out of pop culture, um, but I also cover some obscure ones in there as well. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, is there anyone else that like we want to bring up? I know that we also, um, I mean, we all did a little bit of research on it. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> well, I, yes. I guess I'll speak for myself. I did a little bit of research on it. Uh, I don't know about these these schmoes, um, <laughs> who I love. <laughs> um, but we also had talked a little bit about wanting to touch on, like the whole. You can't even like I was googling something um but black superheroes and the <laughs> how they a lot of them have get have gotten electric powers and that trope yeah. that has gone into comics not i was gonna say lately but it's not a lately thing it's, it's not a, a lately thing it's a it's a thing because what black superhero doesn't want to have electric powers i think the funniest thing is it's it's sort of become a situation where you don't know or you have to question whether or not you are laughing with someone or being laughed at and uh, I, I say that just because it's it's a uh, you know um friends we're talking about some friends of uh, mine where we're just goofing off talking about comics and and incidentally i think the question just becomes like wait a minute wait a minute does well, does miles count what's <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's, I don't know. I have to think about it. And then my my biggest conundrum right now, and, and, and the, 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 the one that really throws me for a loop is the storm count. Oh, yeah. Well, the storm, even if storm does count, the storm count as the first. And then everything I, else is kind of derivative after her. I think you have to count storm. Because of the line in the first X Men movie. Oh, stop it! Stop no, it! Stop no, it! No, stop it! Stop stop it. it. <laughs> I mean, I, I know I went to steal the movie, but we are not going to talk about that line because it's the worst line in cinema. 
Period. I, so yeah, I think you got to count Storm. If you know, here's, you know. Here's 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 my here's my riddle. Here's my riddle. If, if if Storm is in fact able to infect, I mean uh, to affect, excuse me, weather, um, then you know we can we can throw heat cold into her her abilities. It's just that she's always depicted in in the famous you know hurling bolts or or the hurricane. So I don't know. On the cartoon, it was always a, a windstorm or snow. That's a good point. That's a good point. That's a good yeah. point. Because, I mean, she was apparently just... A, the only weather I got is wind. Okay. Sure, Storm. I think they actually gave her more range on X-Men Evolution than they did in the X-Men cartoon. Yeah. But the X-Men cartoon, although near and dear to my heart, underpowered a lot of the characters. Yes. I feel like. So... Yes. That's fair. But... I, I hadn't thought it was funny because Seth brought up the electric powers thing and I didn't even think about miles until you mentioned it, Brian, but yeah, like that, what did they add to him on top of Peter Parker's powers? He can turn invisible and he can elect because apparently there are spiders out there that electrocute people. I don't, is that a thing that spiders have? Well, I mean, Jessica drew has a venom blast as well. And I think that hers is, I think they've depicted it as electrical based, even though Jessica's not black, but I mean, to differentiate her from Peter. Yeah. I mean, I mean Silk when you play the Miles No, Silk doesn't have it. I'm trying to think if there's any other. Ben Riley doesn't have it. Kane may. I don't remember if Kane does or not. But it's just in the Miles Morales video game, even like it's a central part of a lot of the missions and tasks that you have to complete. And the way you battle people. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. But what's the mm-hmm. origin of that? Like, how has it come to that point? Like, they bless the rains down in Africa? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Or it, it, it's, it's, it tends to it's, be um, one of those happy creative incidences that, that tends to um, sort of permeate the, the creative space. <laughs> Okay. We, we, we think we're being original in 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 one area, and you know, oh look, right across the way in a, in, a, in another creative space, we have a hero you've never seen before. <laughs> yeah. Is he black? Well, actually, even going back to even with Static, um, in the Static Shock cartoon, there's an episode where he dealt with a couple of older heroes, like more than one that were electrically based heroes as well. Soul power for one. And I cannot remember the other guy's name. Maybe there is, maybe, maybe, okay, okay. Maybe there is precedent. Maybe there is precedent. Um, we do know, we do know that, that Black Lightning was supposed to be featured on the Justice Friends. Or excuse me, Justice Friends. I'm Super Friends. Super yeah. Friends. On Super Friends, Hanna-Barbera, was supposed to feature Black Lightning. What ended up happening was uh, a situation with copyright. So instead, we got Black Vulcan. So, so we already have this derivative. Uh, the creator of Black Lightning, Tony Isabella, was wasn't thrilled. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, the way Black Lightning, the first series, ends sort of ends in in a in a very sort of he got the last laugh because he introduced 
he introduces a another character and and he um I forget the character's name off the top of my head, but it's it's basically a parody of the whole uh, process of you know a licensed character versus an unlicensed character. So so maybe maybe there is you know a precedence as far as you know <laughs> photocopy math <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to sort of to sort of um, you know be electrical powers based specifically. The cyborg count. No. no. Uh, he's oh, by I don't think he does. I don't think Cyborg counts, Vic. He doesn't count. I think he's got, he doesn't. Uh, he's powered by electricity, but he doesn't. He does, doesn't have like electric powers. I, I feel like a Teen Titans Cyborg does because he's always. Yeah, doesn't he have. Doesn't he like blast out like. Which like Teen Titans waves? He has, he has like, different Teen Titans electrical go. waves. Or Teen Titans Go is not canon. Miles has different abilities. What's your point? Teen Titans Go. Miles can stick the walls and he can shock people. Vit, Vit is a walking power plant. It can shock people too with whatever weapon he puts up there. And he's always running out of power. Vit needs to get a, a sponsorship from Energizer. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. Yeah, they it's a lot of battery replacements. It's, it's a lot. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I would go Tesla, but no, <laughs> just no. Um, you know, something else we didn't, I didn't cover uh, in this that I wanted to talk about was uh, Val Zod, the Black Superman from. Mm. Earth 2. Um, I mentioned when I was talking about Tyrock that like Kryptonians in the 50s, he came from an island of just black people off of their own. DC had a horrible problem with this in the 50s because uh, if you look at an atlas of Krypton, they show you, you know, Kryptonopolis, Kandor, all these other cities, the, the lava falls, the crystal volcanoes, blah, 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 blah. Valtho Island. And Valtho Island was where the super intelligent black race of Krypton stayed, as they put it on the on the map. Um, and that's where they were all from. And you never saw any other black Kryptonians really until ooh, probably the early two thousands when they regroup Candor um, and they had different different Kryptonians from different guilds, different races and everything who had survived in Candor. Um, but yeah, DC had a, had a problem with just shuffling off black people to their own island and just leaving them there. Um, there was an update. In the 50s, that wasn't a DC problem. That was kind of, you know, a, an American Well, I mean, the problem. fact that the fact that well, the fact that they you know said super intel highly intelligent black race, and it's just like yeah, thanks DC. I mean, th thanks for thanks for making them smart, but bad move. Yeah, poor bad form. But um, we see, we see uh, there's there's no denying a a pattern. Everything from Ebony White to to a Kryptonian island of, of super black. Well, to be fair, and, and to be to be historically fair. Um, comics, and this is one of the things that a lot of people in modern 
in the modern era are going, well, why am I getting this new character who is a legacy of this character or is carrying the mantle of this who's not that character is that comics, for the most part, with the exception of like the, the creators that we talked about in the Invisible Men um, who were there but not there, were all white. And they had, you know, their perception was these people exist, which is why you got characters like Ebony White, which is why you got characters like the, I think the original version of the turtle, where you got characters even as late as the 60s, I'm sorry, 1959, when DC did their first jump from like the Justice Society age hero, heroes to the science-based heroes. Um, with Green Lantern's mechanic, Tom Kamalku, who they called for the longest time, Pie Face. And they're like, it, that was their consider their version of inclusion was they're there, but their their depictions were not the most favorable. And that actually carried on well into the 90s um, when they were still calling Tom Pie Face. When they were, uh, DC did a series called The New Guardians, where the Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, the Guardians of O were basically like, we're out, we're making you guys the new guardians. And one of them was a character from South America uh, whose name, whose superhero name was Estrangio. Just, and he was gay. And the, that was also the point where you couldn't really have a gay character, but all of his, the way he was written, the way he dressed, his, his flourishes were, were just completely coded that. So as late as that was 90, that was millenniums. That was in late 80s, early 90s. They had a, had a problem. It's nice to see that they're actually getting diversity, actual diversity with actual writers um, of color, of different orientations in comics now because it's been long overdue. Absolutely. And, and just to kind of take that on, um, let's, 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 you know, continue that into um, the momentum of, of just this month. Just this month, there, there has been um, so much going on, so much, so much that has been um, having to do with introducing new characters in um, Black History Month that, that have to do with... Uh, the legacy and and introducing new characters and um so so I'll, I'll give you i'll give you two just this month we we are introduced to bloodline who is the daughter of blade so so that's that's you know that, that that's just happening and then also um more more of um legacy in the sense of the actual you know we're going to talk about publications and and what um what we can look back to as far as some of the storytellings um, uh, that happened. Then this is Silver Surfer Volume 1. I'm, I'm really excited about this story. Silver Surfer Volume 1 issue, oh, I want to say issue 5. I'm going to say issue between, either issue 4 or issue 5 um, had to do with the story called, oh, don't take me, to, okay. I'm not specific on the story uh, title, but I'll go ahead and go into the character. Um, Marvel introduced Silver Surfer Ghostlight. Now, Ghostlight is 
a character. Robert, are you familiar with this? Um, I am not. Uh, who shall Who shall mourn you? Who shall mourn you? Was a story that happened in the original Silver Surfer back in uh, Volume One. I want to say mid to late '60s. That had to do with a physicist. He he's a doctor, and um, he we he actually dies that issue. And this story, this this ghost light, has to do with his resurrection or his um, being or introduction into the Marvel Universe now. So um, we're reaching back. We're reaching back. And I admit, admittingly, unfortunately, I haven't had time to to, um, to jump into the story that I'm, that I'm really looking forward to. But it, it was distinctively researched. And the the, uh, the writer, John Jennings, has an amazing, eloquent tone in, in what led him to research and pick these characters to kind of reform and make the story for today. So, Sorry, just jump in really quick. Silver Surfer number five, 1969. 1969. Okay. Who shall mourn you? Is that right? <laughs> um, the computer go. <laughs> and who shall mo- and who shall mourn for him? But I'll give it I was more than I would have gotten. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, and two on top of what Brian was saying. Uh, not in comics, but they just released uh, Moon Girl and, and Devil Dinosaur and Devil Dinosaur on Disney Plus, which is so fun. Um, I watched it with my daughters today. It's just oh, well yeah. So bringing in some of those characters that like who in the world know, knew I didn't know who Moon Girl was, but and then bringing in the vibrancy of her um, setting just mm-hmm. adds to that story as well. Absolutely. Colin, you've been mighty quiet. I'm a little worried over there. Okay? I'm just, I'm just taking things in, man. Uh, I, I mean, I, I just love hearing uh, about all these, these characters that I just haven't explored before, right? Um, and so, like, your presentation's phenomenal, and hopefully, you can send me the slides, and I can sure. pop, pop them up on the, on the website too, to, to, to put on with this. But Gladly. I. I just love this so much. Um, and I've been taking, taking notes as we've been going too, so I can list out all, all the, all the characters and stuff. But. And I, I, I can, I hope that things continue to keep getting better. I, I know I've had talks with like Brian about this and just how sometimes it can get disheartening when you start adding in new characters and uh, different, I mean, I compare it, to like sometimes miss marvel where like the movie like not not that there's criticisms for sure but was it bad or was there just so much hate towards it is that why it did it so it's just you want to continue to see or captain marvel the movie or miss marvel the series because that could that description goes for either captain marvel well yeah i was thinking captain marvel the movie uh where it's just you you want to keep seeing it you want to keep seeing it being done well um and and then instead we get regurgitated stories of the same uh, five <laughs> characters, uh, which isn't bad, but you want to see. No, it you... is bad. No, but, it is yeah. Bad. I mean, how many how many times do you need to reboot Spider-Man or Batman or Superman? Well, and I can't believe yeah. they keep doing Peter Parker story when like Into the Spider-Verse was so well received. It was so... Mm-hmm. 
Well, unfortunately, we're going to get across the Spider Verse later this year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we know that there is a there is an audience for it. We know that people want it. You, we, I really would love for for Marvel to do a Miles. Actually, not only Miles. I'd love to see Miles or any of the other characters. But since that's all Sony property, I'm worried about what we're going to get. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. Sony license now, since Marvel handed the licenses over to Sony and does not have Disney does not have enough money to get those back. How is that possible? Because <laughs> you know you can keep asking for more. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And the way that they wrote the contract, Sony is not Sony will not give those up if, if anytime no. soon. Like the fact that we've got Peter Parker in the MCU at all is pretty amazing. True. So I'm just waiting for I them agree. to do Uncle Ben, his origin story. You see, you know what? The only thing I want is for Peter to go shopping, pick up a <laughs> thing of rice and just drop it. And that's all I want. That would be <laughs> enough of an Uncle Ben origin for me. Uh, I, I, I like Into the Spider-Verse. That's probably my favorite Spider-Man movie. And I'm looking forward to Across the, Sp- the Spider-Verse coming out later this year. Uh, but, but when we talk about regurgitating the same five stories over and over again. And I agree with you, Robert, that is bad. And I think that the way we can break away from that is by bringing in some of these characters that have a different story to tell. Um, The problem is how gutsy is DC, how gutsy is Marvel to do it? Because every time, like you said, Steph, every time they try to bring in some form of diversity into a story, we have to hear about it on the interwebs. And I'm not convinced it's a majority of the fans out there. I'm convinced it is a small group of fans who are very loud. I, I would like to think that. I know, Robert. But it's easy just, for me to think that. Our perspectives are different. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I agree with you 100%. Um, but, I, you know, if they want to do another, if they want to do a different take on the Spider-Man story, do Silk, bitten by the same spider. So you can actually have Peter as a background character and the spider drops off Peter and goes well, you know I'm not done yet bites Cindy and then go off in that direction because it's a story that not a lot of people are going to know she didn't appear in in the last Spider-Verse movie I'm not sure if she's in this one or not um, but I know that there's the is it Amazon series or Sony series um, they're talking they've talked about doing a Silk series but that's a great way to get, you know, it's a different spider and it's a different spider story than, you know, uh, without going to miles, go to miles. If you, you know, I would love to see that as well, but I mean, miles has, but two video games now, uh, know. one video game and one he's going to be, or, or he, yeah, one on the way that's going to okay. be both of them. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, miles is at this point, a fairly known quantity. If you want to stick with spiders, find, you know, find a different direction or you know talk to sony throw them a bucket of money tell them to make it you'll help them make a bigger bucket of money and and you know there's so many people who've been bitten by spiders apparently or have been cloned from people bitten by spiders the options are, are out there and i think it's just important to um more than more than anything just just keep hammering it home um take the risk feature the character characters um and and just you know what i mean maintain that conviction 
more so than than, than anything else. Yes. Um, because if it if it if it becomes, if we're able to understand that it 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 is there, it is visible, and and this is this is kind of like the let's say the same energy that that uh, Marvel Studios had with with you know building up to the Avengers, right? Like this is the plan. We're sticking to it, for better or worse, and and we're gonna see it through, and hopefully, you know, we're gonna hope for the best, bad for the worst. Um, but yeah, I just I, I would really appreciate publishers, studios, to just sort of um, just put themselves out there um, beyond what is comfortable, what is. But that's risky. That that risks actual like real dollars if we do that. But I mean, you also hey, have an audience looking for it. The main yeah. characters of Guardians of the Galaxy are a raccoon and a tree person. Like, <laughs> come on now. Let's be let's well, be better. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the new Captain America movie, the new world order. And I am and I am what cautiously happens. optimistic. Yeah. Um Falcon and the Winter Soldier for me was great because it took Sam out of the background, put him forward, it brought Bucky forward. And you got a buddy cop movie with two cops who don't like each other. And, you know, both of them learning about each other. I loved the fact that they introduced Isaiah Bradley and Eli Bradley in this. Uh, for people who don't know, Isaiah Bradley, if he was, as they mentioned in the series, uh, one of the effectively uh, guinea pigs that the army was trying to test out variations of the super soldier serum on to try and recreate Captain America. Bradley was the only person on whom it worked without horrible side effects, like horrific side effects. Um, there's a, a graphic novel called The Truth by Kyle Baker, and I don't remember who else was, was co on that, but- Robert Morales. Thank you, mm -hmm. thank you, Robert Morales. Um, fantastic story, um, and it also kind of touches on some of the experiments that were done in real life on actual military and college students um, in the 50s and 60s, minus wow. super soldier serum. Um, but the, the parallels are there, so you can kind of see what was done in this country to citizens of this country by the government. Um, but the truth kind of you know, moves it aside a little bit for the superhero genre. Um, but they, uh, they also kind of go on what happened to some of those people that it didn't work so well on. So if you can find that, please do read that. I think that uh, kind of goes back to, I can't remember, I think it was Brian, uh, maybe when you were gone, talking about when knowing a little bit more about the context and what was going on in the world. And yeah, I think you probably touched about this. It just brings a lot more like light um, to why things are being written. And I think um, we'd like to think that our world is uh, sunshine and butterflies, but knowing that there's dark history that goes into these books and that goes for all the books. I mean, uh, why was Captain America created in the first place to fight Nazis? Like there's a lot of depth that we don't necessarily think about when we just touch on the surface levels of these books and these character stories. It's um, okay for art to make you feel uncomfortable and make you think about stuff. It's probably, we don't preferred. like it. We don't like it, Jake. <laughs> no, no, um, 
the Dakota verse will make you feel uncomfortable. I will tell you that right off the bat. The, the Dakota verse, uh, there are aspects of it that are very real life adjacent that are scary to a lot of people. And I think that that's a good thing. Well, and that's a, a Watchmen came out of the TV show came out a few years ago. And I, it, I am amongst the people and I'm shocked. To, it's to, it's one of the first times people heard about the Tulsa massacre. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, knowing that these things are real and that these things happen, it, it, again, it adds, it makes you think about your worldview adds depth to these characters. I'm still, I'm still hoping. I'm, I'm, I thought, I thought Sister Knight would have made her comics debut mm. at this point already. Damn, she's uh, cool. And so I'm, I'm, I'm still holding, yeah. I'm still holding out hope. But, but going back to uh, Truth and uh, Captain America: New World Order, Robert, I don't, I don't know. You, you were, you were making a point about why you were cautiously optimistic. I was just curious. As Sorry, to... yeah, I was cautiously optimistic because Marvel, in Going the route of what's going to happen with Captain America if Steve, if anything happens to Steve. And there are a lot of people like, is Bucky going to get the shield? Is Sam going to get the shield? You know, the comics fans are like, who's going to get it? Because there's been times where both of them have had it. Um, and Marvel has gone out on the limb to make, to not only show Sam getting the shield, rejecting the shield, and then realizing there's a reason that, that Steve chose him entrusted him with the shield because we got john walker which was not good for anybody having the shield so marvel's gone out on that limb and they did something in episode six of the series when he finally shows up in his you know captain america outfit and he's taking on um the flag smashers and somebody asks him about it. he's like i'm a black man and just the fact that he started his conversation with him was like Okay, please continue. And he's like, I got the eyes of the world on me. Everything I, every time I do anything, and all I can do is just, you know, be the best Captain America I can. I'm like, yes, that's fantastic. And the fact that whoever wrote that speech for Sam put that speech in there, and all of the levels of editorial they had to get through for him to be able to make that speech, and for to make it out of production into production and not on the cutting room floor marvel has put themselves out there i know that there are a lot of people who are like not my captain america okay that's great go do something else this isn't for you apparently i'm curious to see how they treat sam in new world order because in the comics when sam became captain america they did not pull the punch about uh, the american public not accepting him as Captain America. And Sam's like, I don't care if you accept me or not. I got the shield. I got the stripes. Deal with it. And moved on. Um, He relinquished the shield to Steve later, but there's currently a series, and I'm going to screw up the title because there's two concurrent Captain America series now, Sentinel of Truth and Symbol of Liberty. And I cannot remember which one is the Sam title, but they started the books with the two of them acting together as Captain's America. And and then they're off on different tangents now. But they are, you know, Sam is Captain America again in the in, in the Marvel comic universe. So I'm hoping that they show him show his struggle with people, accepting him as Captain America 
and not they'll just gloss over that, not just have everybody be like, oh, happy to see you, Captain America, because that's not what's really would happen in the real world. So is the Sam and Bucky storyline original content away from the comics? Yes. Because okay. when when Steve died for a while, or was thought dead for a while in the comics, Bucky was Captain America. Uh, and he was not super great as Captain America. He was he not was, great, was, and he had to pay for a lot of things. a lot of, a lot of PTSD. Yeah. It was, what, it was interesting reading what he did as Captain America, but he was not great at being Captain America. Yeah. Um, and then Steve came back, and then Steve got old and turned his shield over to, to Sam. Uh, and that series, I think, ran for roughly two years, two and a half years, before they reverted back to Steve being okay enough to carry the shield, um, which is why I was happy to see that they brought Sam back as Captain America recently. Because uh, I think that his series is only six or seven issues old at this point. But the the content otherwise, yes, that was new. So it's it's interesting when you talk about what they did with with uh Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And I and I had similar thoughts. Like I was surprised that they went where they went. Because Disney does not that the MCU has not hit on a lot of those points up to this. But it's one thing to do that on a streaming series on your streaming platform and another thing to do it on a big summer blockbuster movie that you're expecting a lot of people to go to. That's where I hope Brian, I'm with you. I hope that they stick with it and they say, we're going to go all in. I hope Robert, like you said, that they deal with how the public reacts to Sam. I don't know because don't that's where, it, that's where it takes more guts, right? I when it's like, the whole movie. lose money. I don't need it to be the whole movie, but I need no, to see that reaction. Be in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because otherwise it's very disingenuous. And I realize that comics and superhero movies are, for the most part, supposed to be escapist entertainment. I get that, but if you're gonna, if you're going in and with you know, knowing what you're doing, go in and and commit. I have a so with the release of Black Panther and uh, its sequel, do you feel like they went in? in a genuine way and portrayed the character the way that from the comics that was so meaningful for so many people. I'm going to let Brian go first here. (laughs) 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 Yep. I just did that. See that, see that bus come in there. (laughs) Um, I think that, um, Black Panther specifically um, runs into obstacles um, when it when it comes to when you when you say um, how uh, Black Panther was portrayed that inspired so many people. Um, I, I think what the MCU did well was uh, they they definitely defined and and rooted Wakanda and gave us an aspect of storytelling that, that I think, um, well, I'm just going to say myself, that I never thought I'd see on a, on a big screen. With that being said, I think that a lot of aspects of Black Panther, unfortunately, are, um, I'm going to say, substituted for other aspects, um, specifically 
So when, um, okay, comparison. Comics, um, Black Panther, um, a lot of the time you have uh, scientific, otherworldly aspects associated with Wakanda that basically makes it a utopia. In the MCU, there was definitely much more of a socio-political um, climate that that they that they zoned in on specifically when you talk about uh, how much they built or or put into Killmonger's story. So um, I feel like you know right there because in in a lot of ways, and I, I you know I I, I argue. Um, you know, my, my wife tries to keep me, she keeps me honest as much as she can, but she, um, she, she comes for me every time I say this, but I, I feel like the first Black Panther movie was, was more actually a Killmonger movie than an actual focus on um, T'Challa. I'm just going to go on into World of Wakanda. There were... There were things that were handled beautifully that we all know that that had to do with Chadwick Bosman's tribute. But then if you want to look at if you again, we're looking at, you know, from there, what inspires us, we're looking at or what is inspiring about Black Panther. Shuri almost immediately denounces Black Panther. She She's like, it's a it's a relic. It's it's not necessarily anything. I'm, you know, Queen Mother asks her, what about the Black Panther? She was like, what about the Black Panther? And ultimately, Namor is introduced, and then you you kind of get more of a conflict that has to do with sides being pitted against each other. Um, and then you kind of see that same um, vibe in Black Panther. One of the things that that I was actually disappointed with was the fact that you have Wakandans set upon Wakandans. And um, in in the in the comics, depending on which which run you're talking about, there's yeah, there's definitely going to be you know, infighting and, and things like that. But there's also an idea of this, this higher notion of society that, that, that exists within an African nation, African nation that, that, that no one would ever know about. And I feel like that is unfortunately what more or less is not focused on enough. If I answered your question. I am satisfied. Robert, that was cold, man. I never claimed to be a nice person. <laughs> I'm just polite. Um, That's not true. Shut up, Steph. <laughs> <laughs> um, <sighs> wow. Black Panther, I think, did a number of things. Well, at the time, I called it the blackest thing that Marvel's ever done, because quite frankly, it was the blackest thing that Marvel had ever done. And then I countered that the following year when Falcon and the Winter Soldier came out and said that that was the blackest thing they've ever done because the scene in the first episode where Sam goes to the bank for a loan, the guy's like, hey, you saved the loan. That's great. I can't give you a loan. I'm like, nope. Blackest thing Marvel's ever done. Um, what, what the first Black Panther movie did and I'm not sure that I can entirely disagree with Brian and saying that it's a Killmonger movie with Black Panther in it. Um, but I think that we got more about Black Panther and T'Challa in uh, Winter, not Winter Soldier, Civil War. 
um, than you know, we got more about what makes him tick and you know how he conducts himself in that movie. Whereas in this one, it's basically like, okay, well, I'm Black Panther now and I've got to deal with this. Oh, and there's the guy who killed my father and here's my cousin who's taking the throne. And Killmonger, I don't want to say he stole the movie, but he, he catalyzed everything that made Black Panther reactive in that movie. Now, that being said, I appreciated the fact that people were introduced to the fact that even within the nation of Wakanda, which is not as utopic as the comic version, there was, for the most part, there was a lot of harmony. The, the, the five tribes worked well together. Um, you could see people just living their lives in certain, in their day-to-day fashion when they were in the marketplace and what have you. And I think that to that point, I think that a lot of people just kind of homogenize black culture as being one thing when it is so many different things that come together as the black experience. Um, seeing that there were differences between the tribes, they did different things within Wakanda is, was hopefully eye-opening that it's, we're not all just carbon copy. Um, no culture is. There's, there's, it's not a cookie cutter. Um, what I appreciated about Wakanda Forever was a kind of another look at culture. And I, I, for me, one of the things I appreciated most about that movie was the homegoing service for, um, for T'Challa and even to a lesser degree, Queen Ramonda. I, yeah, because I think that a lot of people are like, why are they celebrating? Because I don't think that the, the concept of celebration at a funeral outside of getting rip-roaring drunk maybe and, and doing things that are horribly untoward um, would really occur to anybody. And I know that in black culture, they are often, they're not, they're modern in the modern day not often called funerals, it is a homegoing service. And you celebrate that somebody has moved on to go home and be at peace, be at rest and be with the an- their ancestors. And I think that was something that was hopefully eye-opening for a number of people. Uh, are there flaws? Yes, and Brian covered those wonderfully. But I think that there, was, there were things to be taken from the movie that were positive. Absolutely. I mean, I enjoyed both of those films. Um, that's my input for that. <laughs> that's what I will add. Um, I would love to keep talking about this all night, but I'm always the one who's telling these guys to make it shorter. So I guess um, just to kind of this wrap is our it up. Episode. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Episode yet. yeah. I, can, I can only blame myself. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess that's, that's who I can blame too. well i appreciate the fact that you let us run long and that you let us have these discussions i hope it opens up more discussions with with uh people who listen to the podcast people who watch the youtube video um and you know that they reach out to people that they might not have otherwise done so that they learn something about characters and creators that they might not have known about before and take that and go forward with it and hopefully not just learn about it themselves, but, you know, introduce others to them 
and just broaden the experience. Yeah. I think like a final thought, I'd love to hear who everyone would like to see like a, like a full feature film or like a, a big budget HBO series about out of kind of the list that was presented or anyone that had, they had in mind. And then any final thoughts that you guys had before we say good night. So no pressure. No, none at all. <laughs> um, I want an Ebony White series. No, I do not. That's a bold take, Robert. <laughs> That's my hot take. Um, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing, there's been talk of an actual live action static uh, movie coming out of DC, but with the reshuffling of everything, that may be a while. Um, I would like to see somebody do something more with Naomi, really, because I think that that was horribly underserved on CW, but again, it's a DC, DC guy character. Who knows? Um, the, uh, the Superman movie that has theoretically got Michael B. Jordan attached to it still, I would actually like to see them pull that off. I like to sing anything Michael B. Jordan pulls pulls off. <laughs> wow. I'll, I'll let you take that however you want to take that. <laughs> oh my. Um I think like Robert was mentioned I I loved um Queen Queen Ramunda. Um, I love Shuri in the first uh, Black Panther. She was amazing. And as well as in Wakanda Forever. But I feel like Angela Bassett stole the show in Wakanda Forever with her portrayal of the Queen Mother. Mm -hmm. And I was reading a little bit about her origin story um, and where she came from. And I feel like that would be a fantastic, if not full length, full length feature film, like a short, short series. Queen Ramonda, I think, was the most Wakandan thing in Wakanda forever. Well, she wasn't Wakandan. She was she, she was not. <laughs> not, not by by you know by by definition. But but attitude, attitude yes. um without a doubt. I, I think um you know another wild theory I, I, I had was you know what what if she would have took up the mantle? Because <laughs> I, I felt like she I believed in her more than hmm. anyone else. At that point, um, but on on your question, I, I gotta I gotta say, um, going back to Falcon and Winter Soldier, okay, uh, the actor who played Isaiah Bradley was was the the great Carl Lumby. All right, now now Carl Lumby, we you you know him from Justice League, um, uh, Martian Manhunter, and um, he actually did a series. There was a series way back in the nineties. It was a series that uh, had a pilot episode. Uh, with Sam Raimi attached to the series called The Mantis. Okay. That was a whole series. It was just a pilot. It was a whole series. It was a whole series. But the yes. pilot, though, the pilot uh, is what hit the hardest. It, it, it what for me, for me, um, I remember it was just, it was something I, I remember just catching and seeing and just being wide-eyed and, and just like, what is this? And so you had this, this technological you know, hero, this, 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 um, you know, intellect. And, and what he, what he did was he was actually paralyzed, but when he donned this, this suit that he, he himself designed, 
he was able to walk again. And he, he had this, this, uh, this vehicle that was actually able to fly. And um, he would, you know, his, he was mantis. So he, he had his, his shots, his mantis shots that would freeze you in, in, in motion. And so I want to take that energy. So I'm not, I'm not asking for a mantis. Remake. I, want, <laughs> I want to take that energy and I want to go straight into uh, even give me Carl Lundy as um, you know, the lead, but I want to, I want a hardware series in, mm. that, in that same vein, hard hitting HBO max tone darkness is, is what I think I'd, I'd go for is um, yeah. have you read the current, the, the most recent hardware series? Brian? No, I, I am behind. I, I okay. stacks. Okay, I'm just saying um, that was handled well, and there's they've it dovetail, dovetails into the current icon versus hardware, which I'm so excited about. So, and, and the first issue of that was good. Just this week, wasn't it? Like just, just this past week. week. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just not the hype. No, you're not the, no, no pressure. <laughs> What about you two down here? Um, I would love to see a live action Static Shock. Uh, I again just love the the TV series. Um, I uh, I always wished that I could be uh, his friend, uh, Richie. Richie, that's uh, that's the, the the tech genius, um, and just just the dynamic. Um, that Static had. I mean, just the energy that show gave off was um, something that I I didn't really see from a lot of the other superhero shows at the time. Uh, it was just very fun and and uh, um, I don't know. I I just really enjoyed it. Colin, is that is that why you do what you do? Is that? Yeah, that's, that's it. That's, why. that's the origin story. Hey, we just leveled up. We just leveled up. Thanks, man. Uh, I, I don't know. I really hope that the the new Captain America movie is well done and is good. Sam deserves it. Um. I want to see a good version of Storm on the big screen or on a series um, because she's one of my favorite X-Men characters um, and I don't think we've done her justice in the films yet at all. Um, you don't want another and, Jean Grey story over and over and over again? Who is... Oh, I, anyway, sorry, that's another pop, yeah. That's another episode. And I'm really hoping that the Lantern series that comes out is really going to be John Stewart and Hal Jordan as partners and not a Hal Jordan series where John Stewart is sidekick. Oh, wait I a minute. Think... Lethal weapon in space. Yeah, that <laughs> that's fine. But, but yeah, I, I think that's the, the fear that I have with that series is oh. that Hal Jordan's going to be the guy and John Stewart's going to be there to keep him in line or, or whatever. Just to say, I'm, I'm too old for this shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's an old reference for you guys. Thanks, Steph. Thanks. (laughs) I'm always here to help. Yep. (laughs) Anyway, we're almost at two hours, so we should probably end the show, Steph. (laughs) Jake, always here to help. Yeah. (laughs) 
Speaking of I, keeping people in line. <laughs> I appreciate all uh, the effort and work that went into this episode, especially with your slideshow. Um, it was great. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, so, yeah, we'd love to have everyone join us, listen, watch, share this, and then join us for the rest of our episodes as well. We are like a series, not just a one-off. <laughs> <laughs> Stop laughing at me, Jake. I'm not laughing at you. This, none of this is funny. This is all serious business here, Steph. And we'd like to thank Brian again for being on our show today. Um, I was going to say you could plug yourself, but do you have any plugs you want to do? You're uh, kind of a private human being. <laughs> no, 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 no plugs, no plugs. I'm just, I'm just happy to be here. Happy to contribute. Um, it's it's always a pleasure. And we appreciate you being here. He's he's been on some cutscenes and cupcakes episodes. So go through listen to all of them to find the one or two <laughs> or three with Brian in it. <laughs> Check out our Discord link below and in the show notes. And other than that, thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Have a good night. Whenever you listen. <laughs>